Open with a word of prayer and uh, I'm lift up a prayer for Carol. Uh, on your porch, he had a little accident yesterday and fell. So hopefully he was he was calling in. So I'm going to want to. Father God, we just uh, pray this morning, uh, Father, Father, just for uh, just clarity and uh, just in our thinking, Father, in our presence that uh, we recognize, uh, Father, your goodness, and Father, we come with the fullness of joy and worship unto you. Father, we love you so much, and we thank you for, Father, the fellowship um, in your word, and today, Father, that uh, we can even just get a glimpse even further of other the marvelous work of inspiration and how you have uh, given us all that is necessary uh, for life. But we uh, do thank you so much uh, for the time that we can be in the fellowship and study of your word. For the study in Second Peter, Father, that just does uh, give us so much instruction uh, week after week and that uh, today even your spirit will give us a, again a, a perspective of even warning and uh, reliability confidence in your word Father we thank you for our body and uh, just for the privilege that we can just uphold each other in prayer and I think of even uh, Cheryl this morning and learning of his uh, fall yesterday just to pray for uh, strengthening recovery and uh, even in his care that he would go forward and to be strengthened back um, to be able to walk strong again. So uh, we just do pray for him this morning and uh, for this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Can everyone get a hand out there? Alright, so we are moving into uh, the last couple of verses of <coughs> Peter chapter 1 verses 12 to 21 where we start. I'm uh, I like I'm an early bird person, and I, I say that you know. As a, I was thinking about that when we saw this robin a couple weeks ago. Lori saw I took a picture of it. Lori took a picture of the, the robin on our deck, and while we have this ongoing, you know, little contest to see who sees the first robin, so Lori wins the contest. However, I kind of just challenged the, that decision by the committee based on the fact that I don't think that one ever left. <laughs> I think I think that one was yeah because that one is probably regretting that he's back if he is back for the first one. Uh, you know, on, on Friday night uh, we had a community group and uh, we were talking about this chapter in First Samuel. And actually, I'm going to bring it up again today because I just make a, I'm going to make a connection into. Um, Saul's perspective on the Word of God and uh, sort of a, a laissez-faire type of attitude that he had and how Samuel responded to that. And what made me think of that is, is that we, we think about how God uh, works in our life and brings us to these very points of limitations where we get to this pressurized place in our life, whether it's circumstantial, uh, whether it's a health issue, where he takes us to this place where he tests our faith. And I believe this is, uh, in one sense, where Peter is coming from, 
as he shares um, his heart with these followers uh, with respect to the warnings that he's going to give um, as he leads into chapter 2. As I get up early in the morning, um, I always want to go and I just like to see um, the sunrise. Um, and this the past few weeks, I've seen a lot of red sky. And Lori being a, a daughter of a, of a sailor, the phrase that Beezy always used to say, right? Which is a common phrase. Red sky morning, sailor take warning. Red sky night, sailor delight. Okay? And if you... If you've noticed that we've seen, when you've looked to the east and you've seen that sun come up, it's been some spectacular red, and it usually follows with a snowstorm (laughs) uh, later that day. But as I think about this image in this red sky, in this red sky uh, morning, there's a warning with that, and it's because of the way scientifically of what's happening where the sun is reflecting with the clouds. Well, that's really what we're going to talk about today. Because there is this warning that Peter is going to give that there is these false teachers that are coming. In fact, he's going to reference the bright morning star in Revelation 22. We know him as Jesus Christ. And so it was interesting is, is that the other day as I looked up, is that I saw, and I don't know, what, what is it, Venus maybe or something, but it's as bright as I've ever seen it. And as I was reflecting this week in study of this passage, is that I saw such a great connection to this passage, but yet reminded of this red sky that was probably in itself helping to start to show this star even brighter, was it as it is is it really of this coming of Christ? And it really brought me to this greater sense of awareness of Christ's future coming and the warnings that are there. Yeah, I'm going to open, open your Bibles to Second Peter as we continue through. And, and over the past uh, four weeks, we've been working through um, these verses at the, that conclude chapter 2 of 1 Peter. First couple weeks, looking at this um, reminder uh, that Peter has given within, with respect to the first 11 verses that he has uh, shared with us in his letter. The eyewitnesses that we touched on the last couple weeks and then today as it goes forward into our inspiration. So let's read it together as we open up our time to study today. Second Peter 1 verses 12 through 21. Therefore, I will always be ready to remind you of these things, even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present with you. Consider it right as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder, knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling is imminent. Also, as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to Him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom... I am well pleased. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven, and we were with him on the, on the holy mountain. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do, you do well to pay attention 
as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Amen. Over the past several weeks as we've peeled back to this particular section of Second Peter, what does God want us to learn in this first section, verses 12 to 15? We focused on God's plan for His people and, the, and the, the consistency and the reliability of it that it's never ever changed. And that we must be focusing on the truth that God has given us and recognizing that it is all that we need. We need nothing new, nothing more, nothing else. The reminders that, that Peter was giving about the Word itself and the testimony of not only himself, but those eyewitnesses, Peter, James, and John, and the other apostles, to the full credibility of Jesus Christ and His Word. And it wasn't anything that it was a story that they were making up. It was no one had fooled them. It's what they saw and what they heard. And it happened, and therefore, believe it. Simply in faith. And as today, as I think about what does we want to... What is the key takeaway from today? For me, it is that God's Word is living and it is so powerful. And yet within God's Word, there is this consistent and ongoing call for us to pay attention to it. And it serves as a lamp in the midst of a dark world. For God is serious about His Word. In verses 12 to 15, Peter told his readers that his purpose for the rest of their earthly life would be to continue to remind them. They needed to continue to grow and mature in Christ, and their lives need to be focused on the coming again of Christ in glory. It was future, and this is this complete plan that we talked about in salvation. It was not just segments of it. The whole plan is complete, and any attack on any aspect of that plan by Satan, or the false teachers, is an attack on the whole plan itself. So the foundation, these eyewitnesses in verses 16 to 18 that we kind of touched on last week, a quick review, is the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. And it served as this foundation. It is fact of what Peter had said about Christ. It was true. And what he goes into this in verses 16 through 18 is that what are the evidences that he will provide for us as far as the support for that, both the evidence and assurance of that. And what we touched on last week was the apostolic eyewitness of Peter himself, James and John. And then this week we get into this aspect of the prophetic scriptures in verses 19 through 21. In that first line of argument, it was what Peter observed and we had heard. And we talked about this being the reference to the transfiguration, going up to the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And it's what he had seen and what he had heard. And it serves as a reminder to, to call these things to mind. And so it's this constant refreshness that's in Peter's mind of what he saw and what he heard. But also then, from there, he's simply saying is that... It, we as the apostles have that, and so therefore what we see within the Gospels themselves, it's true. It's, what we, it's all that we need. It's pure, val, uh, valid in its way. 
And so Peter is talking in this particular passage about this coming of Jesus Christ and His future coming in glory and His power. And as we talked about this with respect to His salvation being this complete plan where He had talked about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in verses 16. And then in 17, where He received honor and glory from the Father. What is significant, and this is where we sort of left off last week, where he had indicated that he had heard such an utterance that was made to him, Jesus, by the majestic glory, God. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. We see this, that Christ was clearly identified as the Messiah. This is my beloved Son. It's a reference back to the, to the Psalms itself in Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 9. And as well as in Isaiah 42.1 where it references the messianic works themselves with whom I am well pleased. Christ was the one that pleases God. And so he making this, this clear identification as Christ, he being the Father, the love Son. And so where I left off last week was, in, and I'll just touch on this briefly, is the content of that testimony of what Peter had heard. This in whom I, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. The content of the Father's testimony, it essentially, there th- we looked at it from a relationship standpoint. And that is significant in this reference is this essence of relationship itself, where it is one in essence with me. In other words, this is my beloved son. And so it is this divine love between God and Jesus as reflected in this essence of that relationship. The second one was the, the, the love between God and Jesus, whereas this love of the relationship, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And that everything that Jesus did was according to God's plan, in whom He is well pleased. It is the obedience of that relationship. And then finally, He went on to say, Hear Him. And this is authority where God gave testimony to the authority of Jesus' words. That is significant because it serves as the base for this warning that Peter's going to move us in towards as it relates to those false teachers. The false teachers go after truth. And as we talked briefly last week where we picked up is that as we move into verses uh, 19 through 21, he closes out this, is that he has this concern, this significant concern about their spiritual health and their well-being as believers. And I would submit that it applies to you and I as well. It's no different. It is very real today. And what we want to make a connection with is the content or context of that particular period as well as what is happening today. He is preparing them or us for the spacing danger of the false teachers as we begin to peel that back, starting in chapter 2, verse 1, next week. And so what do we know about Satan's work in opposing God and the people of God? And last week I, I, I mentioned briefly, and I want to go back to that point that we made last week. Because as we look at the scriptures that we have, the reliability of the, the, the word itself, the inspiration of the word through God's <coughs> instruments, those men, the apostles and the prophets, fully reliable. 
but it has been under attack from the very, very beginning. And so where we touched last week is that we went all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. And if you have your Bible there, and if you, I don't know if you're an underliner or not, but I want you just to kind of check this out. Go to Genesis chapter 3. We want to see clearly the pattern. This pattern that Satan uses over and over again. Genesis chapter 3, and starting in verse 3. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Take and just underline, God has said. Okay? And then in the very, very same verse, the last three words say what? In that verse 3. Lest you die. Okay? So if you underline that, so what God has said is, God has said, you will, you will die. Okay? And go to the verse 4. The serpent said, underline that. Next verse, what? You will not die. Okay, you see the contrast. In other words, Satan's first claim is that he claims that what God has said will not happen. God said, you will die. Serpent says, you will not die. Okay, in direct contrast. Okay, the second thing is that in verse 4, underline what? You will be like God. You will be like God. In fact, what he's done is that he's provided an alternative. Now he's provided an added benefit. Not only, the serpent says, not only will you not die, but I'm going to give you a bonus that you will be like God. And so when we talked about this last week, this, this is where the battle is. When you, and so if you look at, this is Genesis 3, and you can go through Scripture all the way forward, and you constantly see the same pattern over and over and over again. In fact, we're going to peel that back even further today because we talked about it on Friday night with, with Samuel and Saul. Saul did not obey the Word of God. He, he didn't take it serious. He didn't do it. Why? Because there were alternatives. There was, he took it upon himself. There is application in every day that we can glean from this uh, as it relates to understanding Scripture and the pattern of Satan, but also the surety and the confidence that we can have in God's revelation for us. And, going back to this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, listen to Him. (laughs) Heed Him. Okay? So the battle. The battle is always focused on the Word of God. The battle is always right here. The battle is always on the Word of God. It is essential. It is critical that the people of God need to be firm. Can't be shakable. Got to be unshakable. We use the word in all of 1 Peter. It was anchored, Right? It was anchored. You need to be anchored in this truth. But, 
why do people go elsewhere? Why? Even God's people constantly drift away. Why? I think we'll get a couple of verses to start with to support that. Go to Isaiah chapter 8. You can look at that briefly. Isaiah chapter 8. Isaiah 8, 19 and 20. Someone has that, and then if someone wants to go ahead and take a look at Galatians 1, 6 and 8 and 9, put a thumb in that one for the next reader. When they say to you, seek those who are minions, wizards, who whisper and mutter, should not of people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on behalf of the living, to the law and to the testimony? they do not speak according to the word, it is because there is no light in them. Okay, so in that passage, just file away some key things about that that we'll see in parallel here to Second Peter, right? You see, first of all, that they are seeking advice from whom? Medians. Medians, okay? So they're, they're going not to God, okay? Because in other words, there's a question there. Should they seek? To, should not a people seek their God? Question mark. Okay, And then what also, then you see this reference is they do not speak according to the word is because there is no light. There is darkness. Okay, So remember that. That's one example there. So clearly, even at this particular time here, there is this, we're seeing this going away. In fact, they're going anywhere other than God. Okay, Galatians. Right at the, right at the very front end of Galatians chapter... One. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserted, deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and the different gospel. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally forever. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody's preaching to you a gospel other than the one that other than what you accepted, let him be eternally forever. <laughs> The, 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 where I'm going to, I guess, go to the first two words. I'm amazed. It's like, it's, I marvel. And it's not a positive type of thing. It's like an astonishment. In other words, how quickly, Paul saying, how quickly you have abandoned a gospel of grace for a gospel of legalism. How could it happen? Why? I think as you said before, it's like we go back to the because because we you know believe the gospel accepted you know Jesus you know like that's it you know you know like it's over but doesn't mean that like Satan's not going to keep trying to cheat you stumble or fall or you know what I mean or doubt what you believe or anything like that you know what I mean the battle is not technically over for him you know oh legalism is that you can. Throw in these little connections, you know, to what we what we talked about, what we're studying, you know, with with Saul. You know, Saul 
um, he took he took it into his own hands because he, he didn't want to wait till the very he didn't want to wait for Samuel. He did wait the prescribed number of days, but he was a short a minute. Okay, and and what happened was this thing. He says, "I'm going to do the blessing myself then," and he said, "You foolish one," is what Samuel said. Is he did not obey the word? God takes us to this limit and tests our faith. And we're, we have to recognize you know, that, that Satan is going to... He wants us at that limit because we be, our faith... We abandon that faith to, to me take over, as you described, Mark, how we evolve at these things. And when we look at these examples, is that what we have to look at, and I'm, it's called what you said, I think is dead on, is that I think of Ephesians 6, 12, right? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual warfare, right? It's against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. It's spiritual warfare. And so we can come up with a lot of examples, but you see Satan is working it. The same pattern over and over and over again. That's why there is this warning that he is giving to these readers. Now, as Moses was... Mark, I'm sorry. Yeah, sure. Because um, Hebrews, the, sec- the first one, like, well, in Hebrews says, for this reason we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. Mm. For if the word was spoken through angels proved unalterable, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? After it was sp- first spoken through the Lord, then it was confirmed to us who heard. Drift away as In many respects, to give you a, a connection analogy, you know, think about um, how you raised your children. If you did, you know, and what do you do? You you constantly you provide very specific prescribed instructions over and over again, right? They're going out the door. Don't forget. Here, 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 and here. They walk in the door. They forgot. They didn't do. And it's exactly. We're no different in this. And it's just this picture that we have here. And as, as Moses was preparing for his departure, and I'm trying to make again a connection to Peter's passionate you know, plea to, to all believers, he gives them these instructions and perspectives. Now let me just read it to you. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verses 45 and 47. Moses finished speaking all these words to all Israel, and he said to them, Set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children to be careful to observe all the words of this law. For it is not a futile thing for you, because it is your life. And by the word you shall prolong your days in the land in which you cross over the Jordan. I love this. The word, Moses is saying, it's your life. Everything. And just a few, a few chapters over, where you see the succession handing off. Now God, God gives instructions to Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. As I was, this is God, as I was with Moses, 
So I will be with you, Joshua. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and of good courage. For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to your fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will make good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If you just were to take that from God, that exhortation to Joshua and give it to Peter. Can you work that into Peter's letter somewhere? You could, couldn't you? Because it was the same reference. He's saying, meditate on it. Three times in just those few verses in 5 to 7, he says, be a good, be strong and courageous. Three times he said that. Why do you have to keep repeating yourself? They probably weren't. In fact, he says, don't be dismayed. It's the same warning that Peter is giving his listeners as well. The Word of God is your life. Use it. Meditate on it to shape, to mold your thinking and to control your conduct. Peter now, in verse 19, he moves to his second argument. His second argument. The first argument was the evidence of the eyewitness, the apostles themselves. And now, he moves to the second argument of the reliability and the truthfulness of what was being preached about Jesus Christ in the prophetic scriptures. And his statement simply this, the prophetic scriptures are reliable. And this prophetic word, as you see it, going back to in verse 19, where he says, and so, and that's what this and so we have, is this, he's leading us into the second argument. And so, not only do we have the eyewitnesses of the apostles, and now we have the prophetic word confirmed. The prophetic word confirmed. It is more sure. Which you will do well to heed as a light that shines in the dark. So this prophetic word is always a reference to the Old Testament scriptures which have their fulfillment and focus in Jesus Christ. Um, question for you. What did, what did Peter have as his references, his resources? His, what did he have? Pardon? Okay. He had the he was the witness, right? He had heard the word himself. He had the word though too, right? He had the Old Testament. He had the Old Testament scriptures. He had the Spirit. Okay. Interesting is is that what we're going to see also is that in, um, in he's going to reference the fact that he also has the words of Paul in chapter uh, I think it's in chapter three. Yeah. Yeah, there's 15. I didn't remember the exact reference at the top of my head. All of his letters. Yeah. So, uh, he would reference the Old Testament scriptures, but he also then is going to reference the fact that he had, had the word there. Now, it's interesting is, is that um, Peter, okay, 
as our writer, this fulfillment and the focus in Jesus Christ. He again is, is what he said in Second Peter, it is this future coming of Christ in his glory. So it is this reference to this, obviously this experience of the mountaintop, but everything is clear for him. If you go back, uh, I'll read it in Luke chapter 24. And this is, the, this is uh, after Christ's resurrection. And they wrote to the... Uh, he says to them, and these are his followers, O foolish ones, and this is the road to, uh, the road, uh, to Emmaus, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, Jesus, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And this is this focus in Jesus Christ. And so Jesus himself, he was like taking scripture and he was saying, now, let's know why. So check this out. See this? That's me. That was a reference to me. Oh, by the way, let's go to that tabernacle. Let's go to the tabernacle. Do you see all these things? In the ta- It typified me. It must have been just a great lesson, a great lesson, great fellowship. And they're just going like, awesome. Oh, oh, the Messiah. I see it. And he's going through each part of it. Skipping over to chapter, uh, same in, in verses 44 and 45 of Luke 24. And he said to them, these are his, his, his disciples, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The prophetic word is more sure. It is confirmed. And the word is firm. It's settled. It's sure. It's just as reliable. In fact, for them, it was more reliable even than the testimony of those apostles because they had it in writing and print. If you think about what you know, we have, this is not an issue of well, let's, let's talk about different interpretate, you know, different types of uh, you know, do we have a New King James? Do I have a NIV? No, this is not what we're referring to. It's the surety of the word itself. So he says to pay attention. Second Peter. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed. And he goes on to say, which you will do well to heed. It means to pay attention. You do well to pay attention. And the reason for it is that the, the false teachers are effective and they will confuse believers and discredit the word of God. While you're there, just look at verse number 2, which we'll get to next week. In chapter 2, it says, And many will what? Follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. So clearly, they're following, and so therefore, they were effective as false teachers to be able to lure them, to confuse them, and to discredit them. Okay? Think of these three words. Go back to Genesis 3. Are all three present? Mm-hmm. Yes. And so the question for us and for you is do you believe that you've outgrown this need to be 
real serious about the Word of God. You know, some of you may have been believers all your, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. And you get to this place where you say, well, you know, of course I'm serious about the Word. Are you? How many of Christ's commands do you take seriously today? Every day? You know, we, we spent some time in our community group this week um, kind of just digging a little deeper into the, the First Samuel 13 passage and trying to understand what happened there with Saul. And on the surface, it's like he didn't do a lot of bad things. But the more you look at it, as we went back all the way to Deuteronomy chapter 17, and there were very specific prescribed commands from God that said, the priests give the blessing, right? And it said specifically in that is that you obey the word. And what's interesting is that just from the standpoint is that when I look at Deuteronomy 17, Moses is writing at a time when he's talking about the fact that they're going to, he knows that they're going to have kings into the future. And what he, des- he describes in there is that how they need to address what will happen with kings. And that was the chapter I think Mike, Michael started with when he started talking about why Saul was not the qualified one. <clears throat> and then, um, so anyway, he basically said, that when you have come to the land which the Lord your God has given you and possess it and dwell in it and say, I will set a king over me like the nations that are around me. Moses is writing at a time that those kings are not there yet. It was still future. And he lists those prescribed things specifically. And that was where there was this violation. In Samuel 13, you remember that chapter story last week, is that Saul took it into his own hands because Samuel didn't arrive there at the very last minute. And he himself did the peace offering, didn't he? And the blessing. Okay, because he wanted God's protection. They said, well, if I do it, it must be good. And there was a, a judgment that came from that. And so, you know, when we think about the fact that, uh, back to that original, it says, you know, we, we have instructions from God. God just, just told His disciples that to obey all the things that I command you. I teach them the things of the Word. And so I, we can find applications to this, but the, but the point is, is that God is serious about His Word. And many times we don't see it in that perspective. And that's something that we dug out about Saul. We were kind of thinking, well, it wasn't so bad. God was serious about it so much that there was a consequence that Jonathan was not going to be king. And, and so where is our disconnect? I'm, just, I'm, I'm sort of mulling through because just, you know, leading Bible study for years and being a part of it, People aren't effective. It's just like people aren't meditating on the word. It's not making it different. I mean, I was there. I was a Christian for years and years. Loved the word, loved the Lord, but until there's something different happened. I was thinking of Eve. He said it was effective and confused and discredited the word of God, but it really was her heart issue where she was. You know, I mean, there had to have been where she was the center of. Her lusts, or it's just very difficult. How is Satan effective? It's not just because of the words he's saying, or 
trying to confuse us is where it's landing. It's on the ears that it's landing, you know, and, and um, I'm, I'm just, I guess I'm thinking out loud. It's okay. So, I, I, I appreciate that because the way I, I think of it, first of all, what we said is like why, okay? That's right. the why question. What we all share is is a sinful, a sinful heart. Right. I mean, we have a human heart. Take warning of that. We're, 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 you say, well, it's a seriousness of the word, and I'm telling you, it's not going to be over until the until the, the morning star rises. I mean, until the Christ's coming, it's going to we're going to be constantly in this battle, and so it, it is this exhortation of just we can always have to be on the alert because it's constantly going to keep going it's this reminder that we constantly keep seeing in this passage over and over again but as believers we just there needs to be a general awareness of this a heightened awareness of it because it affects everything and Satan knows that God's word is the lamp to our feet hmm. and I tell you, he will use every means to keep you just not even to open your eyes, you know, open that word. It just amazes me, you know, even just speaking with women. It's like, you know they're forgiving you, you know they love the word, but they're the Lord, but they're not in the word. And, and it's not just about reading it and being legalistic about it, because being legalistic about it, as you said, is really about me. You know, it's still, it's still focused on me, but it's allowing God's word to be effective in our life. So that's the full knowledge comes that makes the change in conduct that you were talking about. I'm just, I'm just sitting here going, oh, this is just where so many people suffer right here. Mm-hmm. It's just they're not meditating on it. They're not, you know, what, what, what did you, what other words you say? Meditate on it, let it allow to save your life, mold your thinking, control your life, and in that you start seeing the cycle where you begin to delight in it, and you're in it, and. It will be effective, mm-hmm. but Satan wants you to not be in it. You know what I mean? It's just like, you know, it's just falling on, I don't know. It's just that, this is just right where I see so many people struggle. And I struggle with it. I mean, how many times does my life just take me, keep me from being in it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's just, oh. This is just real, you know, on my heart when I speak with other women and sit with them. And it's just like, oh, you know, God said it. you got to believe it. Mm-hmm. And let it shape you. So, just, just very, that's very, really heavy on my heart. All of us. So, what do you mean? <laughs> anyway, I'll stop thinking out loud now. Because <laughs> then you're well, triggering this you're thing. You're thinking in my out brain. loud for us. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> <It's very laughs> Sorry. Oh, this just, just gets me. It just grips my heart. And I'm not good at it. I can see where Satan trips me up. Not that I don't believe his word, but to keep me from being in that word. Absolutely. I was just looking in James, and I don't know if this applies or not, but I ran and start at 13. When tempted, no one should say, each one is tempted to win by his own evil desires. He is taken away, and the fire has been his whole world. Use it as a fact that I can get sidetracked so easy. I can be ready to sit down and do my craft, but something will happen and I'll be like, just, just every stuff, he just gets us sidetracked. <laughs> <laughs> Mark and I were talking about this yesterday too, but I think one of the lies that 
recall just so much is that we're satisfied with salvation alone and that we're not that's not enough. We can have a relationship with God now. We don't have to wait until we're in heaven later on. That it starts now and we miss it. We keep stumbling, we believe the lie of salvation, that's all that's enough. Let's just now I can do whatever I want to do and or we let the cares of the world stop us from being serious about the word. And I think that's a big stumbling block for us. have to admit it, it's a lie. <laughs> There's more. Thank God he is the God of grace, huh? <laughs> we can all connect. You know, I think that uh, if we, we can just camp there and just keep on going because you, I think we share all that. And it really is, it's this intimacy with God um, that rolls with intimacy. And yeah. it, it brings it in it when we're not there. And I think even as um, someone mentioned the, this light and everything else, it, I mean, that's exactly how he goes within the passage. And he references the word. He says, as to a lamp shining in a dark place, the word of God, it is the only light in a dark world. I mean, you guys know the Psalm 119, right? It's, uh, 105. The Word of God is a, it's a lamp that's in my feet. Absolutely. And so we have uh, within that passage itself, and I, I think of you know even like the uh, the First John passage, or even the Ephesians. And the Ephesians passage represents this world of darkness. So you see these. There's just so much reference to this light and dark, and you know. You just uh, again, it's the, again a very practical type of image is that we are. Why we struggle is because we don't recharge the batteries in our flashlights, you know, and so it gets to be dim and you can't you can't see real good. It's so as you and it, so the thing is is not only is it is the word illuminating, it needs to be constantly. You know, it's there. It's, it's total, full illumination. We're choosing to neglect it and to, you know, I love the rechargeable batteries. You know, we just, you can, it's there. This can be constant. And we can go back, just like what you were saying, Kathy, you can go back to very specific verses that just, right there, it charges. And it is, the second reference of it is, is this lamp unto the path itself. It is a very narrow path. When we get off the path, it's because we're just not enough right. I think we can come up with a lot of different analogies from that, but again, the significance of the Word of God um, is this life. He moves on and fascinating reference, like Peter. He says, Pay attention to the Word as a light. The only light that will shine in a dark place. And it is this world. It is a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises. This is a, re a reference to the return of Christ in glory. And if there's just one verse you want to look at it, it's Revelation 22, verse 16. 
I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And so when Peter would reference this here specifically, and the morning star rises in your hearts. And this is just, um, if you look at that second note there, this grammatical view of in your hearts, just in what I've kind of looked at and studied it, it's not to get hung up so much, what did that represent? It's simply like connecting it to this call for us to be uh, attentive. And it says, it's like, it's like saying this, in your hearts, you, you do well to pay attention in your hearts, knowing something then. And the knowledge is, is that there's no prophecy of Scripture that is own, one's own interpretation. And so there is this, this exhortation and this bright morning star, and you have this image that you can picture exactly when you get up early in the morning uh, and, and you see this Venus or whatever it is in the up right now it's in the upper uh, uh, southeast section of the sky and you see the sun coming up and it's so so bright in fact as the sun is starting to come it gets really illuminated and that is this picture that we have of Christ describing his coming in glory it is coming it is soon at that point and so he is referencing himself as this bright morning star and yet with that comes this warning then it says like I'm coming Pay attention, be ready, and be diligent in the Word. So the question is, is, do you think we still have to give the same attention and diligence to the Word today as we did back in Peter? <laughs> kind of a rhetorical question. <laughs> you can answer it pretty simple. Has the bright morning star come yet? No. So the answer is yes. It requires the same attention and diligence. As I said earlier, is that God allows us to get to these limitations in our lives. And to, to bridge you to the lesson today that Michael will go in Samuel uh, 14, I'm reminded of something in Samuel 14. And that God is a God of grace and He still used Despite that, and the judgment that came that, that Jonathan was not to be king, God still used Saul because at the end of chapter 14, I read that he conquered. And he, he won many, many battles and he protected Israel. He led Israel despite that. So you can apply that as a testimony in our own lives to the grace that we've received from God. But God takes us to this limit in our lives. And what I... I Think about these believers that were reading his letter. And Peter is saying that I'm going to be leaving you soon and false teachers are coming. Take warning. The red sky, take warning. He knows. He knows what's ahead for them. So therefore it is this call. Whether it's himself being in prison, knowing that under Nero's uh, you know, leadership at this point, that there was going to be significant destruction, persecution that was still coming to these believers, even unto death. 
And so you can apply that then in the context and, and appreciate those words, but then going forward, it applies to us as well. And so it's this rewording of this is this you do well to pay attention to your hearts, knowing that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's interpretation. Let's move on to this last section here and start to close it out. That Scripture, is, he, Peter says, is not a matter of one's own interpretation. He says, first of all, and so whenever you, uh, what that means, when I would say first of all, it's like I want you to create a list. Right? Okay? So first of all, number one, know this. First of all, what I'm going to tell you is that Scripture is not a matter of one's interpretation. He says this, first of all, knowing this first, that no prophecy. And so it is this, pay attention because I'm going to give you a basic number one. Rule number one. It is foundational in nature. It is of the utmost importance. It is of prime importance. And when we see this word interpretation, it means this unloosening of something. It means to explain something. And what Peter is saying is, is that Scripture is not a matter of ones. And one key word I want you to underline is O-W-N. It is not a matter of one's own interpretation. The prophets, they didn't give their own interpretation. When God used signs, dreams, and visions when he spoke to the prophets, rather, it was the work of the Spirit of God and the prophets that brought God's word. Now, I want to draw a contrast to that statement to what we see the seriousness of God in a couple of these passages. Let's take a look at Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 16. Jeremiah chapter 23. 16. And then someone could also read verse 25 through 27 of that. Okay. Underline own. You see that? They speak a vision of their own heart. Do not listen to the words of, a pro- of the prophets who prophesied to you. That statement alone has to be qualified. And what he's saying is, is don't listen, Lord saying, don't listen to the ones that have their own, this vision of, the, of their own heart, not from the mouth of the Lord. Verse 25, 27. I have heard what the prophets have said. The prophets have often saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart, who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? Lies. You know, we, to tie out what you were, we were saying earlier, the why question is just that why... Think about it. We, we threw a word out this week, rationalize. We, we rationalize things. It's our own words. It's our own interpretation of something. But yet, that's exactly what we're seeing here. It's that I have dreamed. I have dreamed. 
It's the I part of it. It's their own interpretation. I'll, I'll share with you the parallel to that one is Ezekiel 13, 2, since I have that. And the, and the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the prophesy against the prophets of Israel who prophesy and say to those who prophesy out of their own heart, hear the word of the Lord. And he says in, in verses 6 through 10, and they have envisioned futility and false divination, saying, thus says the Lord, but the Lord has not sent them, yet they hope that the word may be confirmed. They hope it will. This is Have you not seen a futile vision, and have you not spoken false divination. You say, the Lord says, but I have not spoken. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, because you have spoken nonsense and envisioned lies, therefore I am indeed against you, says the Lord God. My hand will be against the prophets who envision futility and who divine, divine lies. They shall not be, the, in the, not be in the assembly of my people, nor be written in the record of the house of Israel nor shall they enter into the land of Israel. Then you shall know that I am the Lord God. There's an interesting test of this prophet, which again is another similar type of parallel to this. It is own. Anything where you see this word, is the prophets, for those who prophesy of their own, it is not the word that came from the prophets' own dreams, interpretations. It is the Holy Spirit that imparts truth true godly men. So, he says, going back, it is men. It is knowing this first. For prophecy never came by the will of a man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Men moved by the Holy Spirit. It was men that were the spokesmen. First, let's recognize that. God chose instruments his human instruments. So there were men that were involved. But what's unique about these men is that they were men that were moved. <laughs> they were not just men. They were men moved. Men moved means to be this carrying along, is to bear along. Here's the, the image that I have. I like to, when I see like a, like a river, I like to throw something in there and you like a stick or something and you just like to watch it just move along and it moves along into the stream wherever the water takes it. It's the moving along. In scripture we, we talk about in Acts they talked about the, the, the Holy Spirit coming in this carrying and what it was is like the wind they describe it. It's like wherever the wind took it. It is the moving or this carrying along. And so God He entrusts by the Spirit of God, His Word. It is carried along by the Spirit. And these men itself, God gave through the Spirit. He gave them His Word and it just carried along. It's an amazing picture. It's like the movie in the like the boat moves and gets carried along by... Um, I had looked that up one time. So. <laughs> the best part about that is that the object itself that's being carried along doesn't fight. It just goes. And so with that, when God wanted to speak through a man, the Holy Spirit carried it along, it's like guaranteeing that it is perfect. 
and it is reliable. You see, this is where, this is the thing where our heads go sometimes because we're so finite, this, you know, and we not really sure. Do you ever get to your your head goes to like, oh, I wonder, like, if there's like anything that might have been missing. You know, did he miss that? Do you think he really meant that? There's a guarantee. If God is the one that's doing the moving, is there any chance that there could be an error? shots at the, you know, the disciples take, you know, like, aren't these guys Galileans? You know, I mean, aren't these guys like, they're not really educated. How do they know this stuff? I mean, you think about God's grace and his, you know, again, his choosing of his men as his spokesmen. And this word of this entrusting, it's like he ensured that everything, and yet I look at the the, uh, and you marvel at the fact that God can even take his word and then allow the personality of that person to present it in, in beauty. In other words, and you can just, you can get connected with that person and it means something different to us, meaning that it's like I connect with Peter so much because he's reliving everything he's gone through and yet he's saying the same thing. Okay, why me? Who am I? Think of each of these leaders. You think of Moses. How many times did he question himself? And you know what? Come on. There's got to be someone that's a better spokesman. Paul. Remember back in 1 Peter chapter 1 of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what and or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating and he testified before the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. These Old Testament prophets, they just study. They poured themselves into all of these writings in order to know more about salvation, the promised salvation. They didn't find any mistakes. 
There was no errors there. And if you think about even how the Word of God just comes together into perfection. And yet, what do the false teachers do? They, they discredit that reliability of that. They try to confuse it to say, well, what does your Bible say? Well, you know, I got a, I have a different version of that in my Bible, and, and take it. Not, don't get confused by any of that. It has nothing to do with version of the Bible you have. There's only one. That's the word. So Peter has been preparing us, hasn't he? He's preparing us to go into chapter two. <laughs> He's preparing you and I for chapter two. And he says, beware, there will be false teachers among us and you. Pay attention. They'll be clever, effective, and appealing, but false. Be devoted to the Word, as Moses said, it's your life. He is the bright morning star. Father God, we love you so much. And Father, we uh, we just get your your word just pierces right through uh, to our souls and to our hearts. Father, we thank you for truth. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you and we marvel at, at the perfection of inspiration of your word. Father, you have entrusted us with so much. We thank you for that. Father, we don't uh, take it for granted in any way. Father, I pray that we would see the seriousness of your word. Father, you have called us unto you be your children and to obey your commands. And yet you know we fail. We thank you that you are God of grace and forgiveness for what we have in Jesus Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith. Keep our eyes fixed on him. So we thank you for, Father, this warning, this message of warning and reminder of truth. The reliability of these eyewitnesses, the reliability of the inspiration of these prophets. So we thank you so much for this and, and look forward to, again, as your Spirit guides us through this continued study, as we see that, Father, it, there is only your word that gives us the light in the dark places. And so we just are reminded of that and that we keep, as always, our focus on ultimately the light of your coming in glory. We give thanks and praise for our time. And in his name we pray. Amen.